Welcome to episode 563 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right, team, welcome along to episode number 563 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Owens. How you go, mate? Sensational. How about you? Well, John, where are you right now? I'm sitting in the car outside the, what is it called? The some backpackers in Kiteri Beach in the Able Tasman. So what, you're stealing their Wi-Fi, are you? I'm not stealing their Wi-Fi. I just, I just paid $5 of my hard-earned cash to get onto their Wi-Fi for 24 hours. Man, it's... You work hard for you, mate. I, I, when we first got onto the call, I said to John, why don't you turn on your camera? And he turned on his camera, and he's pitch black, so I couldn't see him, so there's no point in having the camera on. Are you okay, mate? I'm a bit worried you might, you know, someone might come and bugger you and, you know, <laughs> come and do something bad to you in the I, car. I'm hoping nobody's going to come and bugger me, but no, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm coping, Bevan. I'm coping. Okay, so today's show, I'm Talk, is proudly brought to you by... Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance, your lactic buffer, and our patrons. And you can go first, John. Righty ho. First up, we have Brett the Rainbow Man Salmon. Then we've got Jack Lynch Custo. Custo. It's Custo. Custo. Uh, Colin, hungry like a wolf, Durant. Michael Dig Dooley. And Adam the King Turner. Okay, guys, this week's show, we've got quite a bit of news. We've got some news. We've got an interview. I'm interviewing John Young, is the guy with dwarfism that we talked about on the show a couple of weeks ago. I'm actually haven't actually done the interview yet. I'm doing it tomorrow morning, but by the time the show is released, you'll hear that interview, so I'm really looking forward to interviewing him. We've got Workout of the Week, we've got Wanger of the Week, and we've got questions and answers at the end. So, John, let's get straight into it. We had the American Championship race happen last weekend, Ironman Texas. Probably one of the big pieces of news was there was no TV coverage. Yes and no, yeah, there wasn't, and it seems like it's just really inconsistent. So there was at Ironman uh, South Africa, there was live coverage when I went on there, as I mentioned last week. Um, Obviously, we have the coverage in Kona. I seem to recall, I think that there definitely has been Ironman um, Melbourne over the last few years, so wait and see what we get out of uh, Ironman Cairns in June. But yeah, that was one item of news. I think it was Mike Threadgold put up on Facebook asking if I'd fire up about it. I'm in sort of two minds about this. I mean, um, it would be nice to have some consistency so you know going into the event whether or not it's going to be there or not. So I'd just like to see some sort of consistency. But the reality is, are there going to be that many people out there that are going to watch this live coverage outside of Kona? I mean, um, I, I like to think I'm a pretty hardcore Ironman junkie and triathlon junkie, but I don't know. I don't know if I'd get on there and watch too much of it. I'd just like to see some some good, consistent coverage if I was to go on there in terms of updates. And when I did go on to, onto the updates and had a bit of a scan through today, it did look like Matt, Matt Miato and the team there were giving a pretty good feel for what the whole race was doing. So I'm sort of in two minds. If you know, if, if that coverage is going to cost them a huge amount of money, I'd rather probably see that money invested elsewhere in terms of prize money and developing the pros in other ways. But that being said, it would be nice, still be nice to have live coverage, but it is bloody expensive, and I do wonder how many people actually watch it. 
I would love to find out the stats because I think it'd be very interesting. I, I, I'm with you. I don't think there'd be that many people. When we think about, like, I wonder if they went cost per head of of getting someone to watch it. It'd be really nice figure. It'd be really interesting for you to figure that out, eh? Like, if if only mm. you know, does it cost them twenty dollars a head for somebody to watch it? And if that's the case, it's obviously an investment not worth doing. But obviously, they're not going to tell us those numbers. Let's look at the race, John. Um, men's race was pretty interesting racing. Well, we've had some bloody fast times. So if you want to get in the top five at Ironman Texas, you had to go sub eight hours, yeah. which is bloody impressive. So Matt Hansen um, pulled off a 2.42 marathon and a fantastic bike split of 4.13 to get himself uh, across the line in four hours, 52.44 seconds. Uh, so he swam 51, rode 4.13 and ran a 2.42. Uh, Ronnie Shieldnick had a great run as well, 2.43 uh, to finish uh, you know, three and a half minutes back. Tyler Butterfield was in third place in 7.58. Will Clark was also sub-8 sub, sub eight in 7.59, and he was 30 seconds in front of uh, Kirill Kochinkarov from Estonia, who I believe is the first Estonian to go under eight hours. So that's bloody impressive when you have five guys going under eight hours. What about Starkowitz on the bike? Yeah, so, I mean, you see people saying, oh, he's on a suicide mission, and yeah, he rode 401, which is sensational, and swam a 49, um, and you say, oh, what an idiot, you know, he's gone out there and just blown up, but we've seen him ride ride that fast before and still be able to, to run okay, but he, he clearly did explode on the run with a 358 to finish in 19th place out of the pros, uh, so, you know, he rolled the dice, and if he'd run a three-hour marathon, he would have been, um, you know, relatively close to the win or at least on the at least on on the podium so sometimes you've got to be in to win and uh also anthony coast uh coasters from france he was also right up there and he he ran even worse running a 408 to finish in 917 um but i believe he was i think second or so off the bike so yeah a lot of the big big kahunas um that we were sort of talking could be there or thereabouts last week um dnf so you had Jordan Rapp only registering a swim time. Joe Skipper only registering a swim time. Paul Matthews doing the swim and bike. Harry Wiltshire doing the swim and bike. Paul Ambrose doing the swim and bike. So a lot of the guys that you know we were saying could be um, in the mix uh, DNF for, for whatever reasons. I haven't had a chance to, to catch up. But, um, yeah, quite a few of the big names out there. And uh, in the female race, uh, Lauren Brandon, fastest swim of the day over, over the whole pro field. Pretty impressive. It was, I, you know, I, I predicted that might happen last yeah, week. Did, I thought you? she'd be yeah. at, at least with the males, but she managed to, um, yeah, outswim all of them. So, bloody impressive, um, because you know some of those former ITU boys are pretty, pretty decent swimmers. So, she managed to hang on to sixth place. But Jody Robertson, who from the states, took out the race. Never heard of her before in my life, to be honest. She swam one o two. She rode a four forty three. And she ran a 3.03 to take it out in 8.56.32. Uh, so sub nine there. And also sub nine for Michaela Herbauer from Austria in second in 8.59. And third was uh, Marja Stage Nielsen from Denmark in 9.01. So that's three names that are really not particularly familiar with. Good old um, Timothy Carlson from Slow Twitch. He did actually include a little bit of detail about. Um, Robertson in his post, he said, while Robertson has a raft of running accomplishments, including a 113 PR at the US Half Marathon Nationals, that's fair moving, and a 234 marathon, yeah. 
which is also pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, triathlon career began just over two years ago on her way to this uh, major Ironman victory. She's won the quasi half, took third at the 2016 Ironman 70.3 Texas and was second to Julia Geiger last year at the North American Championships in a time of 8.18, but that didn't really count for much because that was when they had the, the funny bike course. So, yeah, it could be a name to look out for. Yeah, awesome race. Um, what else happened in the race, John? Who else is in there? Uh, so, yeah, I've gone through the first couple. One that did sort of bomb out um, or to a degree was Jocelyn McCauley. You know, she's had some fantastic wins. We've had her on the show, um, but she was in the mix for a while, but um, then just, just ran out of steam, but she's still trojaned on to finish in 12th place. Uh, so, yeah, the, the girls' field was... Uh, not as strong as the, the guys, but, um, yeah, only 17 finishes. Well, what, what I like about these championship races is it was close racing. You know, if, if we look in the top 10 for the guys, it, it's only 14 minutes between the top 10 guys, mm-hmm. which is pretty Absolutely. good. You know, and in the mm-hmm. females, it's another 10 minutes, maybe 10, another 14 minutes for top 10 for the girls as well. So really close racing for this level of, you know, face, you know, kind of, of distance. So, you know, it's good. It's what we want to see, isn't it? Mm. And Torsten sent us a note about, we talked last week about the, the strength of field, and he's now sort of got a percentage um, in terms of how strong the field is, and he sent us a reply. Basically, the number means which part of the Kona field is doing the race. So if we look at Ironman Texas, the number I posted was 31% for the men and 20% for the females, i.e. about a third of the male Kona field is racing in Texas and about one-fifth of the female field. So he's looking at people who go to Kona and where they're sort of racing. So uh, what ratio of Kona athletes are participating in these races? So I think that's a really good um, number for us to look at when we're, we're assessing how strong fields are. So nice work, Torsten. Yeah, really good stuff. Okay, so who wrote this? Is this from Cam Brown, John? It is. I was trying to find the results for a strongman, and I went onto the strongman website, which is this race in Japan that I've talked about the last couple of weeks. And I had seen posted on Facebook that Cam Brown was actually going over to do the race. He said it's something I always wanted to do because he's done a lot of racing in Japan in his early years. And uh, so I guess he's decided to, to head over there and just find one of these other destination races. And I also saw Damien Collins, who we interviewed old uh, Damo in Kona when we were over there last time. And so those two were racing. So I went onto Cam Brown's Facebook page and he did post that he took the race out. Uh, it's a 3K swim, 157K bike, and a 42K run. So pretty much in Ironman. One of the cool things that he was saying, you know, you go over these bridges that are up to like five kilometers long between the islands. And uh, yeah, he took it out in seven hours 49 um, by about uh, seven minutes from a guy called Simon Jung from Germany. And Sean Williman from Canada was third in 8.02. And uh, Damo was fifth place in 8.18. Looks like a cool race over there. He said the run course is pretty tough. Mm, absolutely. I mean, you're always going to get hot conditions over there. Um, so I think he just wanted to make sure he had a bit of a buffer over some of the Japanese dudes. Yeah, good stuff. Nice to see Cam. What a day. It's nice to see him in the latter part of his career go do races like this. Still be successful, you know, still be the legend of the years, but kind of enjoying you know, the twilight of his career. Absolutely. I'd be loving to be in his position because he can probably get, you would assume he'd be able to get some appearance fees at these races and just go and do all the, do all the ones that you've always wanted to do, but you've always been, you know, chasing Kona points or getting to Kona or preparing for Kona. So he's in a uh, cool position. So good on him. Okay. 
probably one of the other big pieces of news this week is that Brownlee, the challenge Mo, how say Morgan Green Canada Canaria, and yep. um, dominated the dojo. Pretty much expected. I mean, I don't think we're going to learn too much about Alistair Brownlee and the half Ironmans. I think that transition should be, you know, relatively straightforward. Uh, the big test is going to be when he decides to step it up to a full distance race. Um, so yeah, he took it out 4:03 from uh, um, Peter. Hemerick and Mark Buckingham. And Mark Buckingham's been a pretty good performing ITU athlete, so it's not like he was racing complete Muppets. Um, on the, what was interesting on the girls' side of things, so was, uh, yeah. yeah, Emma Pallant, who's the um, current uh, world duathlon champion, winning by six seconds from Lucy Charles and Daniela Reef, uh, another sort of three minutes back from, from them. So, you know. You, you, I don't think you want to read too much into Daniela Reef having one bad day. She might have just been feeling rubbish or just in a big block of training. Um, but it is good to you know, see other people getting amongst it. Well, speaking of legends, Chrissy Wellington did the London Marathon and she did a 2.49 job. Not a bad effort. Not bad at all. Yeah, I think when we spoke to her on Legends of Triathlon, I think she was hoping for sub three, so 2.49, not too bad. So I wonder where they placed her. Where do you reckon they would have placed her, John? I'm going to try, I'm going oh, to try not and find the results. Okay, well, she, she, I know she won her age group, which is, I'm, I'm guessing she's, is she 35 to 39 maybe? I'm not sure. Um, but she won her age group. Uh, and there was uh, some other stories coming out of London. There's one that's just going around like crazy on social media, and it was also on our, our main network news as well of a guy uh, dragging another dude across the line who was completely in la-la land. And, uh, yes, yeah, so... I, I'm going to I'm going to take a guess, Bevan. A two forty nine. I'm going to estimate there was probably maybe thirty odd, twenty to thirty odd sort of top pro runners running, and so I'm going to say she finished in thirty third place, Bevan, out of the females. I'm not quite sure if it's going to work, John, because they've given me the elite. It's not. It's not that easy to kind of your website's not that clear. I don't know if I can do it in the next two minutes. I'll see if I can do it later on in the okay. show. But yep. Okay, sounds good. Yep. Baby season's going crazy, Bevan. Oh, people have been shagging, John. It's <laughs> <laughs> been nine, well, nine months. I don't know how many months ago. Not, the babies aren't popping out yet. But Jodie Karnama, or formerly Jodie Swallow, is the latest one that she's announced she's got pregnant. I've never seen as many um, of our top athletes get pregnant within a couple of months of each other. It's crazy. What's all that about? What's it all about? Baby season. Okay, John, the other big piece of news is, and it's quite cool, I reckon, um, 70.3 for 2019 is going to be held in Nice, France. The event will take on a place on the Saturday the 7th of September, which is my mother's birthday, and Sunday the <laughs> 8th of September uh, 2019 will be Ironman Holds the World Championship event in France. It'll be the first time ever, um, and it's going to be pretty cool. I think it'd be great. I mean, they should choose. For those of you who don't know about Ironman Nice, uh, it is a really iconic course. You go up all through this beautiful mountains area. Uh, so hopefully they'll come up with a really cool course, um, and presumably everything will be okay down there by that stage in terms of running up and down the Promenade des Anglais, which is the, the sort of waterfront along um, the front of Nice. But this, I think this is a great option. It's um, a course that will be nice and testing, 
Uh, it's a course where you can relatively easily have large numbers of people on the run course and for it not to be too much of a nightmare. It's a wicked destination. Um, there's plenty of accommodation, relatively easy to get to. Uh, so I think it's a good one. So if you are looking for you know a bit further down the trap, um, a cool place to go and do and a cool destination, I would uh, put that on your hit list. Okay, so Chrissy, overall, but this includes males, um, 765th, first in an age Whoa, group. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. First in an age group, and then they've got placing 14th, but I'm thinking that's not including the pro females. Yeah, so that's, I, I would assume that too. Yeah. And I think they're about... Pretty solid. Yeah, pretty solid. It's a pretty good effort. Pretty sharp. Um, okay, John, coming up, uh, we have Challenge Taiwan. I'm actually going to be in Taiwan in a couple of weeks, John. I might be there when the race is on. It is, and we've got the, uh, this, this is where Torsten's strength of field comes in. It's a 5% strength of field for the males and a 3% strength of field for the females. So uh, I think really on the guys' side of things, this is going to be Frederick Cronenberg versus uh, Dougal Allen, maybe Richie Nichols in the mix. Um, but you've also got Courtney Ogden in there, Guy Crawford's up racing, Pete Rebrusik. Uh On the girls' side of things, you've only got five girls in the race, Um so Kate Bevelequa, Lucy Reed, uh, and Alisa Goretzky. So yeah, pretty small fields, but good to see Challenge sticking with it in Taiwan. And uh, good luck to everybody who's heading over there. I've had uh, Dylan McNeese win that race two times in 2013 and 2014, and Freddie Cronenberg took it out last year. Uh, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Dougal Allen goes. He won Ironman. Um, one on a challenge Wanaka for us down in New Zealand, and he is just killing it on the bike. So it'll be interesting to see what he can do in slightly tougher conditions. John wants to have a rant. Where you go, John? Where you go? Oh, this is only this is only a very minor rant because I'm just a bit, pretty much getting sick of going on about this. But okay. another, I've got to just keep naming and shaming the running runningmagazine.ca uh, also called Lionel Sanders, the world Ironman record holder and uh you guys know where i stand on that i just think it's uh poor reporting so tim his name there hold on tim hubash who is on runningmagazine.ca get your stuff sorted but it's pretty cool so the, the story is that landers sanders did the marathon on the weekend um he did the boston marathon boston. last week and he did it with his mother who hmm. i'm not quite sure how old she is Wait. but she did a 335 so she's pretty sharp some sort of distance by himself at pace and then waited for his mum and ran ran the last part in. So that's kind of cool. But he didn't, it's not like he ran the whole way with his mum. No, but she ran a 335. She must be in her 50s. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty sharp. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So he obviously comes from a pretty good pedigree. Um, John's sponsors. Athlinks.com. Uh, or extremeendurance.com. Xendurance.com. Bloody hell. Maybe I should get my websites right. Xendurance.com. Guys, if you want to check out any of the science or, or anything they've um, published from Xendurance.com, go to the blog page. They've recently put up um, Extreme Endurance versus Beta Alanine, um, where Extreme Endurance is a better option than Beta Alanine. You can also scroll through their other stuff uh, in terms of, it's quite a bit on, up there on um, CrossFit if you're into that, but then it's got um, all the other research that they've done on Extreme Endurance if you want to find out 
what it does, what the actual science says, go onto their blog and check it out. If you want to actually purchase any, remember to use the promo code IAMTALK20 and you get 20% off. And that works on the .com, .co.uk and the .eu website. So get yourself a discount. You guys have got races coming up. Save your legs some pain. Get your recovery sorted. You know, a lot of you guys might be having, you know, doing half Ironman build-ups towards mid-season Ironmans. If you take extreme endurance, it's going to help your recovery from those big efforts and mean you get back into training quicker and then you can go and smoke it for your mid or late season Ironman. So check it out, xendurance.com. Okay, discussion of the week. So discussion of the week last week we were having, we were kind of looking at if you were to get, we were talking a little bit about what race was it, John, the sub the sub two hours for Nike trying to hit the sub two hours in the next period of time. And we were kind of saying if you were trying to get the fastest possible Kona result, what formula of athletes, and you had to put five athletes for both the males and females, how would you go about approaching this? And, uh, yeah, John, uh, let's pull up notes. So, who, ben, you ben go. Pasala, uh, he said, Frodo, Keenlay, Lang, Starkey, Sanders. Starkey to pace the swim, and then after a bit of soft pedaling on the bike, um, to let Keenlay and Sanders catch up to smash himself at the front. With Keenlay in position two, Sanders in three, Frodo in four, and Lang hanging on. Onto the run, Keenlay sets a pace for either Frodo or Lang if he survived the bike to go for it at the end. Good, interesting strategy. Very German strategy there. With you've got Keenlay, uh, Keenlay in there, Frodo in there, and Lang in there. But uh, those boys are spanking it, so it might work. Okay, I've got James Thomas, Isles, Newsom, and me. We wouldn't break out eight hours. But there'd be a whole lot of photos of me crossing the finish line, along with a lot of questions why. Okay, let's say let's say you, me, and the Philinator. What do you reckon we'd do? How well, you we... two chumps, you two. Ch- oh, you cut out. Oh, you cut out. You there? Yeah, you, you guys are going to have to keep up, keep up in the swim. So you got to be strategic about these things. Right. Um, you guys have to pull, can... pull me through the swim. Yeah, but I can tell you, and I've probably said this before, one of the most fun races I've ever done is when you do a team time trial. We used to do them in France, um, and you've got seven guys on your team, and you've got to use that strategy of getting people through. So over a sprint distance, it's a lot more fun. Over an Ironman, you know, you know the fillinate is going to be, I don't know, five to ten minutes behind coming out of the swim, so it's not, not going to happen. But over a sprint distance triathlon, you know, you're not, you're gonna, then you can start dragging people <laughs> Yeah, Phil, do sharpen up. I will be checking training peaks this week. If you haven't been swimming, don't come running on Monday. Okay, good old Julian Stockwell's got Eric Hedlin, Tony Martin, and Dennis Camito. They would destroy that time. Who are they, John? I don't know who they are. They're cyclists. Or Tony Martin's a cyclist, but we, 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 he's barking up the wrong tree there. We've got to, we've got to, this is a triathlon. Oh, no, he's gone back. He's got five. Okay, old school. He's gone. Hal Regal, Wolfgang Diedrich. Luke Van Leerd, Norman Stradler, and Lothar Leader. With the amount of EP going through their veins, they would have smashed that time. Possibly. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, Evan Collier, so I'm splitting up my team. McMahon, without a time penalty, Frodo and Lang to battle it out. Then Gomez and A. Brownlee as my wild cards. And oh, for the girls, just let Reef go with the guys. I, I was struggling a lot more on the girls than, than coming up with my guys' team. Okay, we've got Nicholas Pocock, and he's got Frodo, Keenlay, Amberger, Gomez, Brownlee. Simple, it just sounds awesome. That would be an awesome race, wouldn't it? 
Colin, uh, Colin Fraser, Fro- uh, Frodo, Wiltshire, Sanders, Keenlay, and Lang. And then on the girls, uh, Reef, Jody Swallow, uh, and Jorgensen, Duffy, and Rinnie. That's an interesting uh, combination there. Uh, pulling in Jorgensen, God knows what she'd be able to do in, a, in an iron distance race. I mean, she's the fastest um, short course athlete in the world, but it'd be interesting to see what she would do in an Ironman. Good old Jay Luke's got me, meaning himself. Uh, Mackenzie, I think he means Stuckowitz, Emo, mm-hmm. and Sebastian. Who's Emo? I don't know, Bevan. Don't know. Okay. Must be a friend of his. And the final one I'll do, Matt Moran. Uh, says, Sebi, Frodo, Tim Reid, Luke McKenzie, and Crowey. And for the girls, four times Reef and Rennie chasing them down. Mark Dixon's got Phelps, Wiggins, Moe. So there you go. There we yeah. go. Okay, John, here's how, here's how you're going to do it. I saw your answer. Where you go? So on the guys, I would have uh, Potts to lead, lead out in the swim, yep. and then you'd have Freddie and McKenzie to be uh, – Potts would hang in there on the bike as well, but you'd, then you'd have Freddie and McKenzie, so Freddie Van Laird, um, to be your big sort of hitters on the bike because they're going to keep up, probably keep up in the swim. Uh, so you need you can't have anybody that's going to drop off in the swim and is going to have no. to ride up. So I'd have Potts, Freddie, and McKenzie to lead the swim – and uh, and then McMahon as well to basically sit in there with Frodo or Gomez to come through on the run. So that's how I'd sort of play it out. You'd have Potts, Freddie Van Laird and McKenzie as your sort of domestiques, and then McMahon to try to hang as, hang, hang as fast and as tough as he could for as long as possible to lead out, most likely Frodo. But Gomez, I think he's going to be pretty awesome at Ironman when he actually decides to step up. But for the time being, you'd have uh, Frodo in there, and I reckon that would be the way to go. So Frodo would purely be sitting in the whole way through on the bike, letting the other guys just flog the living daylights out of themselves, and uh, and then he'd come through and run a uh, sub-240 marathon in, uh, in the heat of Kona. What do you reckon the time would be then? What? It, it all comes down to conditions, but if they have, if they had, yeah. let's say they had conditions like, <laughs> say, Crow, Crowy had when he when he set the last record, yeah. you, you kind of got to think that he's if Frodo could really spank it on the run, I reckon he could be you know three, four, five minutes quicker. And then if you think of he's sitting in all the way on the bike at, at legal distance and there's nobody else getting in the way and there's not as much surging because you're only going to have three guys in front of you, so hopefully the pace would be pretty even. I'd say. Um, and if there was a lot of money on the on the line, and if someone could keep up and push him on the run, I reckon uh, I reckon they could be knocking on the door towards seven fifty. Wow, that'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Mm. Okay, girl side, well, girl side of things. Um, obviously, Reef is going to be the one uh, absolutely crushing it, but you got to try to look after her as best you can, so she can kill it on the run. So. It's not it's not an easy thing to do because she's just so strong on the bike, whereas Frodo is you know the weapon on the run. So you'd, I'd go um, Jody Swallow or Jody Karnama, what she's now known as Anya Berenik, who did stick with Reef for, for quite some time last year, and Meredith Kessler to be spanking it out in the swim on the bike and really setting it up. And then if Joycey was back up to full speed and full fitness, she's probably one of the few that could swim and bike with the top girls. And then give Reef a bit of a, a bit of a hand on the the run as well. If she was back up to to 100%, so that would be how I would roll out the girls. You'd have Swallow, Baronek, and Kessler um, with Joycey sitting in, and a bit of a roll like Brett McMahon, and then uh, Reef to take over and put the afterburners on. Bearing in mind that she'd she'd be able to ease up 
a bit on the bike um, with the other girls just spanking it as per normal. She's out there absolutely crushing it by herself. Yeah, because this is the other thing. Is the other, all the other athletes are sacrificing themselves for the aspect yeah. of the race, aren't they? So it's not like they're trying to go on to have a good race. So it'd be a fascinating thing to do. It would never happen, but it's a kind of an interesting discussion, isn't it? Yeah, well, it wouldn't happen in Kona, but it could quite easily happen. You know, money talks. It could help happen elsewhere in the world, a bit like it is in, in marathon running. Mm. Okay, John, this week's discussion, would it work to have an age group qualification for regional championship races? And if they had championship waves, would you be more motivated to attend these races? So you're kind of saying basically, like Ironman Texas, you actually have to qualify. Because remember years ago, back in Australia, they when they only had one Ironman, you used to have to do a 70.3 in Australia, or a half Ironman back in those days, to, to be able to qualify to do the Ironman. Remember that? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and so you're kind yeah. of saying similar kind of idea. You only get to do a championship race if you've qualified in another race outside of the championship races. Or at least there'd be a championship race within the championship race. So hopefully that makes sense. But let's say you had Ironman Texas at the weekend. You're the pro race. Take that out of the equation. We're talking age group here. You, you'd have... Um, you might to, to bolster numbers. They might have a, a you know just an open category for people that haven't qualified to boost the numbers. But then they might have separate wave starts earlier in the day for people that are racing championship um, other championship qualifiers. So you are going head to head. And uh, would that be a motivator for you guys, or is this regional championships for age groupers just a complete waste of time? And it makes no difference to you guys. You're just going to rock up to whichever Ironman you feel like doing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, we'll have a discussion about that next week on the show. So go to www.imtalk.me and I'll put that question up on the show notes. Okay, John, workout of the week. What have you done this week, John? What have I done? Well, this is what I've done last week. I had one of my really key sessions. And for all you guys doing Ironmans, this is, I reckon, a must, a couple of must-do sessions during your sort of final um you know, 15-odd weeks building into the race. So it's basically a half Ironman simulation at Ironman effort. Uh, I managed to do mine last Thursday night, um, but I didn't wasn't able to get the swim in. So sometimes practical reasons, for, especially for early morning trainers, um, it's not practical to do the swim. So you sometimes can replace that with, with something like what I've done that I'll go through. So for me, it was a half Ironman at Ironman pace. Um, I'll go through this a bit like I did last week. The plan was, instead of swimming, because I was a little bit short on time, uh, I basically had to bike commute home from a meeting in town, and I basically used that as my warm-up, because what I wanted to do is hit the bike and uh, basically get onto my TT bike and be straight into it, straight into um, Ironman pace, not doing a warm-up or anything like that. Alternatively, what I've done in the past is done a bit of a 5K run, progressively building that up. Again, finish that last kilometre of the run, and boom, you're straight on the bike, with the same sort of heart rate and, and feeling that you would be if you if you came out of the swim. So that's a suggestion if you can't get into the pool nice and early or if you can't get to the pool at all. Um, onto the bike, you know, my um, the plan was to ride 90 kilometres, uh, trying to sort of loosely simulate the terrain that we'll encounter in Roach. So I was doing a little bit of big gear work here and there. I tried to include or did include a few hills and I had one longer climb at halfway and for me as per I mentioned last week you know I'm sort of targeting two 235 watts uh, and hoping for my heart rate to be around about 130 and I have a cap of 135 beats per minute that I won't go over unless I'm going up a hill and then for the run 
um, the plan for me was to practice my run walk. Uh, so it was going to be a 21.1 kilometer run. And the way that I structured that was to run 12 minutes uh, and walk 45 seconds. And I aim for an average of four minute 15 per K, which is just under three hour marathon pace. And so for me, that means I've got to run at around about four minutes, just under four minutes, 10 per K. And, and that averages out with the walking, then it averages out to about 4.15 per K pace, which is what I'm hitting. Uh, so I always have some objectives as well when I go out and do these key sessions. And this one's pretty similar to last week. It's really, for me, a bit of an assessment time, trying to figure out if my Ironman target times, powers, etc., are going to be achievable. So I'm looking really closely at what's happening with my heart rate as I go through these workouts um, and trying to determine if it's going to be realistic to hold that for a, for a full distance race without actually going and doing a full distance. Mm. Uh, also, key to do race pace training and doing you know some long runs off the bike at reasonable pace is really important for for toughening up your legs for for the back half of the marathon when the main race comes around. So. Bevan can put the, the links up here. I've got my Training Peaks files um, that he can put the links up. So the bike was pretty interesting for me. Um, the first hour felt really, really easy, as you'd hope it would when you're doing a, an iron distance session. The second hour sort of felt more like what you'd expect uh, an Ironman to feel like. And then the third hour on the bike, I rode for two hours. I think it was about two hours 45 it was starting to feel you require some concentration. So it wasn't hard. So it was a really good simulation of how you kind of go through those different emotions on race day um heart rate stayed pretty even around 130 throughout started to rise a little bit towards the end and my normalized power was 238 so just a little bit above uh, what i planned um people always ask about nutrition and i did pretty similar to what i'd done on the long ride that i talked about last week it was two bottles of infinite um one of m's power cookie bars and a caffeine tablet in the last hour just to wake me up a little bit and then uh then i was off for the run and just drilled the run the first two to three k's felt a little bit rough to get going and the last two to three k's certainly required a little bit of concentration but i uh, held held pace nice and even throughout average 414 heart rate was in the right place had to have a, a toilet stop um, midway through and then the nutrition for the run was just one gel which is a little bit less than what i'd do in, in a race but um i was sort of feeling like i was on top of things so for all you guys out there if you if you're training for ironman whether you're a seasoned professional whether you're a first-time athlete doing you know two to three simulations in your race build-up i think is absolutely critical and really looking at your stats in quite a bit of detail and if your heart rate's getting out of control at your target ranges in terms of power and pace you need to have a pretty serious think about whether that's going to be uh, sustainable over the full Ironman distance so confident session yeah pretty good yep certainly you know it's, it's, it's with the with the run it was great because it felt pretty easy as you're going through and that's what you want to be feeling like on Ironman day um, but by the time I got sort of just to that last few k's I could still hold the pace um, but it was just starting to get a bit hard, and I, I was thinking, this is probably what it's going to be like on race day. Once you get past halfway, it just pro gets progressively harder to hold that pace, and then that last sort of 10 k's, you really just got to dig very deep. So no, it, I was very, very pleased with how that went. So another tick in the box towards the road, especially when I think we've still got about um, 12 weeks to go or something. So no, yeah. I'm feeling pretty good. Good times, John. I, I, did, I did a run on Saturday, John. I did a run with... <laughs> 
Uh, no, but I, you know, like I was saying last week, how my running's just, you know, because I haven't really properly trained for sport probably in years now. And this year, I just thought I want to do the marathon next year. So I've just been doing four runs a week. Longest run, I did a half marathon on Friday, pretty hilly half marathon. But then on Saturday, I just thought I was just going to do an easy 45, and I took off, and I was comfortably sitting on 345s. So I, I think I did like 37, um, but just felt really comfortable at that pace. So it's quite nice just to get to a place where, you know, you can find your speed again without fighting for it and not, you know, seem mm-hmm. to be pretty effortless. So my running's come along well. I'm kind of I'm in that place where I'm really enjoying running again, which is quite a nice place to be. Oh, I've lost you. Are you there? 38. Yep. Oh, are you there? I lost you for a second. I am, I am, I am now. Yeah, you, you, you broke up on me there, but I can hear you now. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, let's look at a sponsor, John. Athlinks.com got their new better version of the updated Athlinks coming out, so check it out. Beta. It's, it's beta. Athlinks. Oh, beta. Athlinks.com. So it's looking pretty fancy. So it's, they're updating uh, it, are they? It's yeah. It's all it's all you know. It's similar information to what you've you've had in the past, but just presented in a nicer way. Oh, it's and cool. You can go on there, yeah. And you you basically when you search by someone's name. So if I put in what if I put in Rob Green, the old spine tingler from Richmond, Virginia. If you're in uh, if you're in need of a bit of chiropractic work, go and check out. Uh, Rob Green. Um, so I'm just going to search here, and oh, there he goes, Richmond, Virginia, 35 to 39 age group. Uh, it just brings up, you know, I can go on there really quickly, and it's got all his personal records laid out really quickly for me. It goes 9:26 at Ironman North American Championships, Montreal Blanc, 4:03 for a half, 17:56 for a 5k. Uh, it's got all his results laid out really easy for me. It's got the people he's following. It's got the rivals. So you want to go suss out any of your, um, well, not necessarily just mates, but any of your rivals' information, you plug them into this new beta. Uh, what is it? Beta, Bevan? Beta, yeah. Uh, beta is kind of like You can go and find out all their information nice and easy, and it's just laid out in a nice way. So go check it out, athlinks.com. Um, we'll go on there, log in, and then you can uh, go towards uh, the new version. Yeah, it's looking pretty cool, guys. So you check it out, athlinks.com. The place to store your all your results, but obviously it's, it's it's updating. It's going to be pretty cool. And I think they're doing this connections thing as well. So this is very early stages, but I think over the next period of time, you'll see more innovations come from Athlinks. So go Athlinks. Okay, John, we've got an interview coming up. Uh, we've got John Young is the athlete we talked about on the show a few weeks ago. He was the first Dwarf to do an Ironman. And uh, I haven't actually done the interview yet, but I'm doing that tomorrow morning because we're recording this early on, late on Monday night. But anyway, here is John, and I'm sure it's going to be a pretty great interview. Okay, everybody, I'm, I'm very happy to have on the show a man that we had on, uh, we talked about on our show a few weeks ago, a guy called John Young, who is the first man ever to complete an Ironman. Now, is it Dwarfism? What, what's... What, I've got to be honest, and I'm sure you get this a lot. I get confused about the right term to describe you, <laughs> if you get what I mean. Um, so, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, first, thanks for thanks for having me on. I, I greatly appreciate it. Um, I guess I, I prefer to be said. I, I prefer to use the term. I'm a person with dwarfism. Okay. Um, rather than saying 
he's a dwarf because then that's just using that as the only identifier for who I am. So I'm lots of things and I just happen to be a person with dwarfism. Yes. Other phrases, other phrases that are used <clears throat> that are, that are acceptable is a person with short stature or, you know, and that's about it. The only word that most of us kind of cringe when we hear is the M word, the word midget. That's traditionally been a kind of derogatory term. And, and it's only because as a child, that's kind of the term that people use to, to you know, take the piss out of you and, and and bug you. So so it's when we hear it, we we get upset. But otherwise, you know, short statured or, or a person with dwarfism is great. Okay, great. Um, so maybe maybe take us take us back. So, um, you know, obviously being brought up with dwarfism, it's a different experience to what the traditional person maybe is going to have in life. So maybe just tell us a little bit about your kind of history before this level of sport became your life and uh, and then we can look into why you got into sport or, or have you always been doing sport? I've always been interested in sport but but never really an active participant and that's partly because you know I, I grew up in Canada um, kind of the I was born in the mid 60s grew up in the 70s uh, grew up in a family where I was the only person with dwarfism but luckily at a really early age my mom and I were riding on the subway and we ran into another man who had dwarfism and, and I'd never met another person wow. like face to face with dwarfism. And I was maybe six years old and, and I remember my mom asking him a lot of questions, but the one question that, that he, she asked that really stuck was, she said, what's the one piece of advice you would give me raising a, a child with dwarfism? And he said, do you have any other children? And she said, yes, I have five other children. And he said, Raise him like all of your other kids. Don't give him anything special. Don't give him any breaks. And I kind of knew right when I heard that that the jig was up because <laughs> prior to that, I had I had three older sisters and two older brothers. And, and with the three older sisters, I basically had four mothers. And they all kind of looked after me and they all kind of did stuff for me. And, and, and when I asked, you know, they pretty much did what I asked. So mm. we got home that night. My mother basically sat everybody down and said, okay, from now on, John's going to have to do everything for himself. And, and that kind of day, you know, my life changed. And so, you know, if I wanted to get something out of the cupboard, I had to push a chair over and climb up on the counter and get it. And, and all those things, you know, I, I pretty much was, was given the same expectations as all of my siblings. And so that's kind of, you know, my, my life kind of went that way. Um, I had lots of friends. I, I, you know, I, I ran around with buddies. We, we, I grew up in Canada, like I said, so I ice skated a lot, and but I never played any organized sport. Maybe once, I think one summer, I remember playing Little League Baseball, and that was it. And I'd always been a swimmer, so swimming to me was always natural, and, and I enjoyed that a lot, but never kind of a member of a team and, and never really, you know, I was, when I got to high school, I was like the team football manager and, and I would be involved and with my mates and, and having a good time, but never really a member of a team doing much in, in that respect. And, and I never, I don't think I met another little person until I was 16 or 17. And again, it was riding the subway and, and, and this gentleman came up to me and he said, Hey, I'm a member of this group called the little people of Ontario. Would you like to come to a meeting? And, and I thought, okay, sure. And I went to that meeting and it was, I'll be really honest with you. It was kind of the scariest day of my life because I walked into this room and here was everyone that looked just like me. Wow. And I, I've never seen that before. Yeah. And I initially I was scared and, and I kind of pulled back and, and didn't go to any other meetings until, you know, kind of in my early twenties. And I, and I got involved again after that. But, but my childhood, like I said, it was just kind of like everyone else just doing my thing. And, and, and I had a lot of friends and, and, and enjoyed what I had, but, but never really into any kind of, you know, athletics for the healthy kind of aspect. I just did it for fun. 
What was scary about going to that meeting? Just seeing everybody looking just like you. It's as if, let's say you had this huge blemish on your face that you never really had to look at. And then all of a sudden you look in a mirror and you see it and you kind of go, oh, that's ugly. That's gross. And that that was kind of my initial feeling. I was, I don't want to say ashamed, but it was just kind of like everything was on display. And I think it was partly because my family said, hey, you're just like everyone else. Like, just don't worry about it. And so I didn't worry about it. But when you see it like there face to face, wow, I I look like that. I walk like that. I, I sit like that. And Uh and it was, you know, when you're, when you're 16, 17 years old and all you're interested in are girls and, and you see it, it just was scary. And so I, like I said, I had, I think I just had to mature a little bit. And so what potentially could have been quite a, a moment of acceptance actually kind of was a moment of rejection. Just, but all internal, like it was, yeah, wasn't yeah. for them. It yeah. was all from, it was just my misconception. And I think it's also because nowadays, I think organized groups, there's organized groups in the United States, little people of America, little people of Canada is a little bit more organized. And I think they're more regular meetings. And so kids really look forward to kind of being with their friends, you know, where we're all the same and you're all on the same level. And, and like my wife, my wife also has dwarfism and so does our 14 year old son. And he loves going to like these regional meetings or to national conventions because he's with all these other buddies and they just run around and, and they can just do their own thing and not have to carry a care so much about, you know, well, here's the tall guy and here's the short guy. It's, they're just all the same. How much of your identity was, was in the fact you had dwarfism? Um, I don't, I don't know if it was so much, I, I think, I think it was more about my reaction to having dwarfism as opposed to being short statured. I, I'm, I've always been, you know, I think thanks to my mother, I've always been very self-confident. Um, I don't, you know, I, I, I kind of speak out for myself. Um, I don't like it when people say you can't do that. You're too short. And that happened a lot as a child growing mm. up. You know, I think that was part of my rejection or my pullback from sports is I would go out to try out for a team and and right away the coach would say oh I don't know if this is really a good idea for you you might get hurt and and so I, I kind of you know I, I said fine okay I'm not going to worry about it and nowadays there's you know, a lot more evidence that that being being involved in sport is a lot better for you than sitting around and so I, I, I kind of appreciate that but I think it's more so like I said how I reacted to it as opposed to you know and and when I talk about dwarfism with my students, for example, I'm a high school teacher. Mm. My students always have to kind of like they they forget. They say we we forgot that you're short statured. You're just Mr. Young, the the guy that maybe gives too much homework or whatever. You know, the the short statured part is down way on the list. And and I think the same way. I think it's just part of me, but it's a very kind of minor part of what makes me me. Um, it was interesting watching the, the video they did on you. There was a sense of I am proving myself to those who doubted me in the past, at least in that video, in the way you communicated it. Um, was that partly because of that kind of rejection of sport when you were younger? I think so. And it's also, you know, it's also like I'll be out training on my bike, let's say, for example. And it doesn't happen so much in the area where I live now because people tend to know a little bit more about me and there have been, you know, newspaper articles and whatever. And, and so people know me. But a couple of years ago, for example, I'd be out for a bike ride and a car full of teenagers would pull up to me and, and they'd snicker and yell something out the window and they'd drive away. And, it, and you know, I, I can kind of deal with that two different ways. I can get upset and, and say, well, I'm not going to ride outside anymore. I'm going to ride downstairs in the basement on my trainer. Or I can say, well, you know, 
whatever. I'm going to prove you wrong. And and so what I tended to do was I would I would I would bike really fast and try and catch up to them at the next stoplight. And I'll just I'll stop and I'll look at them. And there's usually kind of like this double take and they're embarrassed. And so I think part of me is, you know, proving to them. And so when I'm out in a race and, and I'm struggling a little bit and I think, oh, maybe, you know, maybe I'll slow down or maybe I should stop. Maybe I should pull out of this race. I immediately think of all those kind of naysayers of the people that doubted me. And I say, no, I'm going to prove them wrong and I'm going to do it. And, and whatever happens, happens. So you've actually turned it into a real motivator for yourself. Absolutely. I, I, I try very little to feel sorry for myself. And, and, I, and I, I try really hard to kind of turn any kind of that attitude, you know, to kind of make me push a little harder. And, and I think it works for the most part. It's interesting at that moment when you're six years old and your mother basically discovered she needed to bring you up like normal. That that's kind of it's it's an interesting path, isn't it? Imagine what would your life would have been if that hadn't have happened. Oh, I I totally agree. And I talk to, you know, I see parents now of of children with dwarfism that are very young, and and I get to pass on that information. And mm. and you know they'll say things like, oh, our local doctor is telling us you shouldn't let her shouldn't let my son take part in gymnastics or maybe my daughter shouldn't do this. And I immediately say like, if their body isn't hurting and they're not complaining about pain, you need to let them get out there and do it. And, and, and it's nice to be able to kind of pass that on because I think some kids can grow up in a sheltered environment. And, and I worry that, that that's going to then transfer to their adulthood. And anytime they face a challenge as an adult, they're immediately going to kind of pull back and say, Oh, I can't do that. And, and, and I think that's an important message that needs to get kind of, and that's, I think that message applies to anybody. You know, anyone who's enabled, isn't it? it my, it, my, my limit has enabled me to not move forward in life. You know, that's yep. it. It's a common thing, isn't it? Hey, so, so, you know, you got into your twenties. Tell me about what got you open to participating in sport. You know, you had this kind of rejection experience through younger years because people were probably trying to protect you. Um, and then what, what moment did you start to think, and you, and you participate a little bit, but then what started you turning you into the John Young that you are now? Well, I, I kind of, you know, I'd always been a swimmer, as I said, and had never done any running, never done any cycling at all. And and then, you know, life just kind of continued. I, I got married and and my wife and I actually lived in Hong Kong for four years and our son was born when we lived over there. And then when we got back from Hong Kong, this would have been, you know, in the early 2000s, I, I started to become very overweight and, and was really kind of not active at all. And my wife encouraged me to, to get to the doctor. And, oh, wow. and I just basically this was, you know, this was kind of a two and a half, maybe three year metamorphosis where I went, I went to the doctor, was diagnosed with severe sleep apnea. I was 195 pounds and was not doing anything. And so when I got diagnosed with this machine, a CPAP machine, and started getting proper sleep, I got back into swimming. And that was probably around, you know, 2005, 2006. And then I, I bored my wife's bike one day and cycled to school. That's a, It's about 10 miles from where I live up to the school. And, and I actually cheated the first time and cycled to the train station, put the, <laughs> put the bike on the train, and then cycled from the train station. So I, I maybe cycled four miles, so not that far. Anyway, but I, I kind of liked it. And so I, our local YMCA said, we're having this cycling thing once a month where we cycle to different locations on a Saturday. So again, here I was, just borrowed my wife's bike and chugged along, never thinking about anything. And then one day, uh, winter 2009, somebody sent me a video with Dick and Rick Hoyt, and they were doing the Hawaii Ironman. And I literally watched that video and was brought to tears. And I thought, 
here's this father and son together doing this amazing thing. And at that point, my son was quite young. He was, uh, he would have probably been about six, five, six, seven years old. And he had started to get some challenges at school, being teased by his mates and being told, oh, you know, you're too small, you're too short. And he would come home and say, well, is that ever going to change? And I'm like, no, it's not. Oh, and you're always going to be this size. You got to find out what you're good at. And when you tell it to a seven-year-old kid, they really don't understand. And they're, mm. they're just immediately, they're still upset. And so I kind of thought, well, maybe I can do his triathlon and he can watch me do it, probably see me come in last place. And, you know, as long as I enjoy it, we'll see what happens. Mm. So I signed up for my first sprint distance triathlon in 2009. I'd never ran a race in my life before I did this race. Wow. So here was a 5K, you know, it was a 5K run after the, you know, after the, the swim and the bike. And I, I think I came in second last. And I was smiling ear to ear. And my, my son immediately said, Dad, did you win? <laughs> and, I, and I said, no. And he said, well, why are you happy? And I said, well, because I tried my best and I had a lot of fun. And I could just see the wheels starting to turn in his head. And he kind of thought, oh, okay. And that after that race, I was hooked. And that summer, I think I ended up doing three other sprint distance triathlons. And, and that was it. And that was 2009. I was 43 years old. And that was the date that I started. And, and now, you know, here I am, here I am, you know, in 2017 and I, you know, I've, I've done probably, I think 45 or so triathlons altogether, um, nine marathons, a bunch of half marathons. And then like you mentioned in the, the video showed, I raced in Maryland last, last fall and, and did Ironman Maryland. So, so when you watch the, the Hoyts, the Hoyts have been an inspiration to so many people did, at that moment. Was it, did you deep down know you wanted to do an Ironman? No, not at all. No. I, I just wanted to do a single, like just a triathlon. And I really, you know, I, I'm sure my wife kind of wondered what's this crazy guy doing? Like open water swimming and cycling and, and, a, and, a, and a run. And I had no desire. I, I don't think it was until, you know, that summer I kind of thought, well, maybe next year I'll do a half marathon and then depending on how the half marathon goes, I'll, I'll see. And I did, I think I did one Olympic distance in 2010 and I did a half marathon in the fall and, and, you know, my body was still cooperating and things weren't feeling bad. And, and, and then, you know, I also got hooked in with a, a group called Achilles International and, and I met up with them in, in 2012 when I was uh, racing the New York City triathlon. And I've been a member of that team ever since. But no, it, it, there was never the idea of an Ironman, I think, until until I did my first half Ironman. And then, you know, things I started thinking and thinking and and, you know, it, it kind of went from there. Well, what is Achilles? I, 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 since you've been um, since I've seen you, I've seen Achilles everywhere. So what is Achilles? Achilles International is a group that was founded by a gentleman named Dick Trom, who is an amputee. And he wanted to race in the New York City Marathon a number of years ago. And he is actually the person that inspired Terry Fox to run across Canada. Because Terry Fox heard about this guy that ran in the New York City Marathon that was an amputee. And Dick Traum has started this organization. And what it is, is it's a group for physically and, and, uh, and physically challenged runners. A lot of visually impaired runners, runners with traumatic brain injury, um, uh, other, you know, um, other types of challenges, amputees, 
It has a whole group called the Achilles Freedom Team, and they're all uh, wounded warriors that have come back from Afghanistan and Iraq and race uh, in hand cycles. And um, I just waved to my son. He just came in from school. <laughs> um, and he uh, – yeah, and so, so we're basically all physically challenged athletes. We There are a number of guides that help them and also handlers that will help at different events. And it's very, you know, it's very similar to the Challenge Athletes Foundation, but but a little different. And I've been, like I said, I've been racing with them, and they've been supporting me in in my in my journey. And 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 I consider them like they're the team that I belong to, and it's a great group of people. So, does your training differ to like? Is it very much a typical triathlon program that anyone's going to do, or do you have to shift things around in any way, shape, or form? I think there's a little bit of adjustment. My coach, Brian Hammond, he's out of New York City and he works with Achilles International. He's a great coach. He, Like, for example, he, he found out that because I'm a much slower runner, for me to prepare for a marathon, for example, I don't do like a long run three weeks out or two weeks out like most runners what I do is I break my long run over two days and so okay. instead of doing instead of doing like a 20 mile run I'll do an 11 mile run on Saturday and then on the Sunday I'll do another seven or eight and what happens is I find my body recovers faster I still feel like I've put in the same amount of miles but I can recover and, and get back to training a lot sooner because I remember when I did my first marathon without any coaching, I did that 18, 19 mile run three weeks out and then I couldn't do anything for four days. I was exhausted. Yeah. And, and I think, I think it also, you know, it also lessens the chance of injury because if you're doing a four hour run, that last hour of a four hour run is pretty tiring and painful mm. and one, one little slip and, and you can get injured. And so that aspect of it is, has, I think, is very different. I still do my swimming, I think, the same. I do that by distance. And my cycling is, is you know, about the same. Um, you know, obviously, I'm a little bit slower because I have smaller wheels and, mm -hmm. and have to work a little bit more to go the same distance as anyone else. But, but I think that, I think it's just really my running that's kind of adjusted a little bit. What about your technique? Is it like, is it like, obviously, you have a different body shape than, you know, most people out there. So is your technique different in any of the, the movements? It, it really is, I think, but I, I haven't had it really analyzed and no one's come to me to try and change it because it's kind of like it seems to work. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Like I, you know, I, when I when I do a marathon, for example, it takes me about 70,000 steps. You know, I, I have a Fitbit on and yeah. it counted 70,000 steps and I'll go to see my massage therapist like two days after the marathon and she'll look at my feet and say it doesn't even look like you ran at all. Oh, really? So there has there has to be something I'm doing right because my feet are not getting banged up, mm. and so I you know it's kind of like if it works don't fix it like mm. that's kind of my thinking, and you know I, I've I've thought a little bit about cadence and foot strike but you know I have shoes that work and I don't lose a lot of toenails and so <laughs> I'm I'm pretty happy that way. Um, you know, and, and the cycling, the cycling is, you know, I've obviously had to have a bike specially made. Uh, a company here in Massachusetts, Seven Cycles, has designed the bike that I have. And and they, they've done a really good job kind of, of, you know, figuring out a frame that works the best for me. Uh, and I use 20-inch wheels, uh, carbon wheels by uh, head. They, they've done a really good job. I think they just took what were originally wheelchair racing wheels and yeah. adjusted them. And now I have them on my bike. Oh, wow. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, so at what point did you think I'm going to give a crack at this Ironman? I think it was 
it was actually, I think, two years before I actually did it. Um, and I was originally aiming to do it in 2015. And I, you know, just I'm a mathematician. And so I kind of sat here and I looked at, you know, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. Well, the next, you know, wise step is this. And then I thought kind of right near the end of 2014 that that I wasn't ready. I just part of me thought, I don't know if I, it's, I was looking for the, the right race to pick or whatever, but, but I wanted to give it one more year in 2015. And so in the, in 2015, I did three half Ironman races relatively closely. I did, um, I did, uh, one in, uh, well, one in July, one in August and one in early September. And I kind of thought if I can do those races, you know, relatively close together, feel really good, you know, and, and, and kind of progressively get a little bit faster, you know, th that might work out. And then I was lucky. That's when Seven Cycles reached out because the original bike that I had was a very heavy aluminum kids mountain bike that had been adjusted, and so it was very heavy. And and you know the bike that I have from Seven is titanium and carbon, and so it's a lot lighter. And they kind of reached out and said, you know, we want to help out, and and through um, kind of a third party who who came up anonymously and very surprisingly last minute, basically said, you know, we want you to fulfill your dream and and this woman and her husband basically paid for the bike wow. uh, unannounced and, and yeah it was a real surprise i found out you know later that she had a she has a a niece who also has dwarfism and and she basically said like the world needs to see you do this and so we want to do all we can to help wow yeah and um did you you know like, we'll talk about the race in a second but when you you know you obviously understand that what you do inspires um, and there's probably is there a pressure that comes with that there is but i i also uh, i'll also want to i, I kind of temper that inspiration because i when an average sized person comes up to me or passes me in a race and says you know you're an inspiration i kind of i, I kind of it's not that i regret hearing that but an average sized person shouldn't really need me to inspire them because it's kind of like they got, they have to have that desire themselves and it can't come from the fact like, well, if John Young can do an Ironman, I can, because you have to want to do it. It has to be inside of you. Maybe, you know, I, I think I do, I do really, I do really respect the, the kind of the comments I get from parents with children with dwarfism and that happens. And, and it really moves me because I never had that kind of, role model when I was a kid. I never mm. looked up to somebody that had dwarfism and said, wow, look at what this person is doing, you know, physically. Like I saw yeah. doctors and lawyers and, and sure, I wanted to, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be a great member of society and, and that was important to me. But physically, I never saw somebody that kind of pushed the limits. And so I'm happy now that I, that I hear those kinds of things from parents and, and, you know, I'm, I'm not young, I'm, I'm 51 years old and I know I can't do this forever. So I'm hearing now that there are other people out there. There are younger people with dwarfism doing marathons. And there's a gentleman in, in Spain, I know, that, that started to get into triathlon. And he's done his first half Ironman. And he's a, he's a terrific athlete. And, and so it's nice to hear that it's spreading. And, and that's all I really hope for and I hope continues to happen. So tell us about your race. Um, the, the Ironman was, it was amazing. First, 
the the location where it was in Cambridge, um, Maryland was a, a really small community, but they really embrace the Iron Man kind of philosophy, and the whole community gets out there to help out, and and that aspect of it was was I think amazing to see. I was welcomed right away. The race director had no qualms in allowing me to race. Uh, sometimes I always wonder when I reach out to a, a new race and say, hey, I'm this person with dwarfism. I'd really like to do your race. Um, Jerry Boyle was terrific. And so that aspect of it was terrific. Um, in the end, uh, you know, I, I know people have already heard about this and the swim got canceled last minute because of bad weather. And mm. obviously you can't do anything about that. And so I was really bummed. You know, I was literally in my wetsuit, like ready to go in the water when they made the call. And so all of us were, were disappointed, but you, you take what you get that day. And, and I knew, you know, I knew I had to turn around then and get on my bike and, and do what I had to do. Um, the course is a really flat course. And so there, there are no uphills, but there are also no downhills. And so for a hundred miles, because again, the bike course ended up being shortened as well because the roads were flooded. So they had to detour it a bit, but for basically over, you know, uh, seven seven hours or so, six and a half hours. I basically cycled nonstop because of the wind and because there are no you know hills. There's no place to recover, and so I just got on that thing and went. And I, you know I was happy with my bike time. The 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 aid stations were great. My nutrition worked out really well. Um, you know I was happy with with all of that. Um, and then you know I, I, the funny part was I I got off the bike. And my wife and son were kind of waiting right there near transition. And I remember kind of giving both of them a quick hug and kiss. And, and as I was running to the, the change tent, I thought, there's no way I'm going to be able to do a marathon now. My body is just totally, like, clamped up. I was just from being in that same position for all that time. But I got changed and, and, and got going, and, and, and things were great. Um, the run course, again, pretty flat. It's a, it's a weird loopy course that you go over the same area two or three times. It's not as simple out and back. Um, and, and so I got to see a lot of the same spectators, a lot of the same support people numerous times, uh, a lot of friends, a lot of friendly faces. It, it, uh, the worst part about it was because it was bad weather and they'd had some really bad high tides, the run course actually flooded. And so two or three times I had to run through water that at one point was up to my thighs. Wow. So I was literally, and I was just laughing because it was just hilarious. Like, it's like, what are they going to throw at us now? Like, what are we dealing with? Oh, wait a second. You've, I think you pushed mute on your, on your mic. Is that better? Yeah, there you go. Yep, yep, yep. Go. Okay, yep. sorry. Thanks for catching that. <laughs> um, no, I, I like what what happened was they, I felt like it was like one of those Spartan races. Yeah. It was just, it was yeah. so bizarre with all these obstacles. But it, it rained a number of times during the run, but, but you know, it was glorious. And and my coach was there. Brian actually made the trip to come down and encourage me to be there. And, and with about a mile and a half left, he was, he was kind of waiting there on the side of the road and he jogged with me for a little bit. And he just said, like, you will only ever have one first Ironman. So he said, like, soak this all in and kind of, you know, take in what's going to happen because this is going to be amazing. And, and so when I left him and was running, you know, there were only a few other people on the run course. It was getting pretty dark. It was about 10 o'clock at night. And I remember at one point I was running up to the last turnaround before coming to the finish shoot. And I remember kind of screaming at one point, look at me now. Why don't you look at me now? And basically I was yelling to all of those people that had ever made fun of me or teased me or doubted me. And I, and I kind of thought, look at what I'm going to do now. Mm. And, 
and I entered that finished shoot and the lights were blaring and I heard, you know, I heard them announce my name and, and, you know, my wife and son were there. Uh, and, and it was, it was surreal. It was amazing. Um, you know, and you know, when the race is over and you kind of start to reflect and people say, well, you didn't do an Ironman. It was 140.6 miles. You know, every race is absolutely personal. And mm -hmm. if, if you spend your life worrying more about somebody else's accomplishments and what they're called, then I, I really think you're doing it for all the wrong reasons. You know, I, I, I didn't get the tattoo on my body that says 140.6. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I ever will. But I know what I did that day and I completed the race that they gave me and I'm proud of what I did. And I'm happy to say that I actually uh, yesterday officially um, uh, registered again to go back to Maryland and I'll be back there again this October to do the same race again. Well, the, the way I look at it is that we sign up for the sport because we want a certain challenge, don't we? Now, obviously, your day didn't represent numbers that the challenge meant to be, but you had that challenge, didn't you? And you learned about yourself in that moment of adversity. And, and really, that's what Ironman ultimately is about. Absolutely. I, and I, I really think those people that are fixated with Ironman is 140.6. And if you don't do 140.6, you haven't done an Ironman. Mm. Well, if you're if that's the way you define an Ironman, then that's that's your baggage to carry. Mm. And I don't I don't really care. And and I, you know, and again, I completed that race that I had. And, and I think really being an Ironman is all the training leading up to it. It's all the work I did all last summer. It's all those long rides that I had all by myself, you know, fixing flat tires and working out my nutrition and, and everything. And, and it's also the journey that my wife and son took with them, you know, when I'm not home or when I'm up early in the morning out to do my training, wondering where I am and hoping I'm safe. It's, it's all part of that package. And I'm glad I got to share that with them, but, but I'm very proud of what I did. And, and, and I don't, you know, I don't look at that day as being any less of any other person's Ironman race. Did, um, did you have doubt going into it? Did you like, was it possible you wouldn't make the cutoff? Um, I don't, I think I had the same doubt as everyone else. Um, I've always been a confident swimmer and, you know, obviously if, if the weather is extremely rough, everyone's got to deal with that challenge. But, you know, I'd done a two mile swim in a race earlier in the year and was well under the cutoff that would have put me, you know, would have put me in under, you know, I believe the cutoff's two hours and 20 minutes. I'm confident I can do that distance in a little under two hours. Um, you know, the bike again, I, I, you know, given any malfunctions, if I, if I'm doing well, I'm, 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 I'm quite confident I'll be able to do it. Yeah. Uh, how do you manage life around sport? You know, this is a very, uh, time, energy, life hungry sport. Uh, you've got a family, you've got a career, you've got, you know, all these other things. How do you make that work? Um, there's a little bit of juggling, but I, I'm a real early riser. And so I don't get up, I don't mind getting up early in the morning and doing a lot of my training. Then, um, the school where I teach, uh, Pingree school in, in South Hamilton, it's a small independent prep school and they have actually been extremely supportive of my journey and, and encourages, they encourage me a lot to kind of get out there and do it. And, and so, you know, if I, I coach the swim team in the winter time, but when I'm not coaching the team, in the fall and in the spring, there's, you know, a lot of days I'll bring my gear with me and right after school, I'll run out the door and, 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 and do a, a run or I'll bike up to school and, and then bike home from school. So I try and work it around that. Um, 
again on the weekends. Uh, the nice thing about being a, a high school teacher or being a teacher in the summer times, I have a lot more time off during the day. And so when my wife is at work, I try and do my long rides in the summer during the day when she's gone. And yeah. so I can be home in the evening. So I, again, I consider myself really lucky that way. So I've, I've managed to kind of, you know, my, my peak training week is probably around 14 hours a week. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not, it's not astronomical amounts of time and, and, and I do my best to make it work. You, you say there was a moment in the race where you kind of yelled out to the, to those who had doubted you, did, did anything go from you in that moment? Oh, I, I cried a lot. I really did. And, it, but I mean, I, I just felt like it was kind of like, you know, just look at me now. And, and I felt really proud. I just, I felt that I'd proved them all wrong. And, you know, and I also carry, I carry a few little trinkets with me when I run, um, from some young children with dwarfism that have really had a lot more difficult life than I did. They're, you know, there's a, a young girl in, in Wisconsin. Her name is Vivian. She was born three days before the 2013 Boston Marathon. That was going to be my first run at Boston. And her mom and I have been in touch ever since she was born. And she's had a lot of surgeries and, and dealt with a lot of challenges. I carry a small picture of her. Um, I carry a sock from a young girl who died at a really young age who had dwarfism and and her mom kind of reached out to me and 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 hoped that I would kind of carry something from Katie with me and uh so those little you know those are a couple of the trinkets that I kind of carry there's a young boy in Australia uh he's in Sydney his and his his parents are um they're aboriginal and uh his name is uh Quaden Kate Quaden and he he um he gave me a uh, uh, Aboriginal headband, um, the, and I carry it wrapped around my race belt when I do some of my longer distance races. And so, you know, I carry little pieces of all these children with dwarfism because when I struggle during the race and when my legs start to hurt, I think to myself, they've had a much harder journey than I have. I can just keep running a little more and I'll be fine. And so I get a lot of encouragement from them as well. And and I think that's the, the one piece that kind of, that really kind of keeps me going. What are the things that a triathlon has given to your life that you didn't have before? Oh, it's given me a little bit of focus. It's, it's given me the ability to take a job that I thought was too massive to do and break it up into smaller pieces. Um, like for example, when I run a marathon, I basically run for nine minutes and then I walk for a minute. So I do every marathon in 10 minute increments. And I find that that, that aspect first it makes the marathon go really well and all i have to worry about is that 10 minutes and i think about those 10 minutes and i do my nine minutes of running and i do my one minute of walking and so now i've taken jobs at school or jobs around the home and i've done a much better job breaking them up into smaller manageable pieces and and it's really helped me reduce my stress in everyday life um just any other messages you want to share with the audience um I think, you know, when somebody comes up to me and says, oh, I could never do a marathon, like an average size person, for example, says I could never do a marathon. My response to them is always, it's because you don't want to. Like you absolutely have to want to do this. Mm. And, and I kind of have a saying that I always say, it's your will has to be stronger than your won't. Mm. And if something inside of you is saying, you know, nope, nope, you can't do it, then you're never going to be able to do it. But I truly believe that if, if there's something that you want to do bad enough in your life and you put in the training and you put in the, you know, the time, you can get it done. And, and you know, and I, 
I don't, like I said, I don't think I'm this poster child for adversity, uh, and I don't want to be thought of that way. I'm just this 51-year-old guy who decided to change his life, and and I, I, I'm kind of like the Tin Man now where I don't want to stop because I think I'm going to rust. <laughs> well, I think you have a few more years in front of you. It's funny, you, you say you don't necessarily see yourself as an inspiration, but to me an inspiration is someone who makes other people think I can. And uh, and. I think when people look at you, uh, and, and obviously we all have limits, and obviously people perceive the fact that your size could be your limit, but the fact that you you know, you know, move through this, you allow others to see that maybe I can too. And so to me, you very much are an inspiration to not just your own little world, but to the world out there as a whole. So keep being you, mate. Keep doing what you're doing in the world, um, and we look forward to seeing it. We'll be watching your result in Maryland, I tell you. Cheers, Bevan. Awesome, mate. Thanks for your time. Okay, John, we are back, and let's do question. Oh, do you want to do Wanger of the Week first? Wanger, Wanger of the Week. Wanger, Wanger. Okay, here we go. Wanger of the Week. Okay, we're going to go for, I put it into random.org, we're going to go for nine. Number nine. The smallest, least amount of training. Bevan, you've got a chance here. No, because I've been good. I've been training. So there's three okay. people here. We've got the least amount of training, Aaron Fern. Aaron, you need to sharpen up. One session of 19 minutes. But not far behind him, Darren Shepard, one session of 20 minutes. And then old Mr. Sausage, Ollie Jenner, 22 minutes, one session in France. So, Do you know what the problem with Mr. Sausage is? What's that? He's doing rote in 12 weeks. So Mr. Sausage, you need to, you need to get your sausage out there training. <laughs> you need to get your sausage out there training. Come on, Ollie Jeepers. Come on, Ollie. Got to give it. Got to give an honourable mention here as well to the uh, Kona Award for 33rd in training time, your roommate from Kona, Brian Hagen. Oh, good old Brian Hagen. Yeah, there you go. Did 10 hours, 54 minutes and 46 seconds. Nice work, Brian. Oh, Brian, he's a nice guy. He was a really nice man, he was. A lot of time for Brian, he was a great man. Okay, John, questions and answers and Swanee Noah has come through big time for us on this one because... Last week we were talking about doing the two-hour sub, two-hour marathon. Nike are doing it, and he sent us through a big email, basically saying there appears to be three sub-two programs going one time. The Nike one running around the track, <clears throat> athlete Adidas uh, one, and there's also an international sub-zero, uh, sub-two-hours.com. The final one seems to be more academic in nature, and I thought it was loosely associated with Adidas, as one athlete associated with it is Zane Robinson, who is sponsored by Adidas. It certainly isn't as formalized as the Nike uh, one, and it is my understanding that they aren't even training together, as it is more of just to do the science. From Robinson's Instagram, which normally shows crazy training, they are just training normally. The Adidas program just seems to be developing a shoe. The Nike program would involve huge amounts of money not only just reflecting the science and logistics the lead runner Kipcho missed the marathon record by five seconds last year in London if he had successfully done it in London this year he would take home at least half a million dollars in bonuses his parents fee would be around $250,000 I expect so um Show is an awesome and will break the world record, so we can safely assume Nike is paying him lots and lots if we can look at the earnings he is forgetting to do this. 
Uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see Kipcho or Belkley, maybe? Bakili. Um, Bakili attempt the world record in Berlin to bring glory to the Nike swoosh this year, especially as Berlin is an Adidas marathon. It basically seems that the world record will not be classified as official if it is done in the Nike project. It had appeared Nike were trying to gain an official world record in optimal conditions, but it appears that the race is not officially sanctioned by the IAAF. The record won't be stand. I think it is meant they will be going for it an all-out time, so the drafting by the pace vehicles, so they will be drafted by the pace vehicles. Remember last week we were talking about the pace vehicles mm. that they have? Uh, to me, that if they do that, that ruins it a little bit. Because, yeah, if they were blatantly drafting. Well, if they did were, you see, yeah. do you remember the photo from last week, which they had the, mm. it, it was basically like having a truck in front of you, really, and if that's, yeah. if that's right in front of them, that ruins it a little bit for me. Like, I get trying to get sub two hours, and I get runners being able to draft off each other, but hmm. if they're drafting off, what you could, you think you go and run two, two hours downhill with a tailwind, and you're going to break the world record? Yeah. So, so fingers crossed, it's not oh. what happens. But he's saying so far, so it means the world's basically it's showing that humans could run two hours. Interestingly, interestingly, there are debates over the women's record. One reason why the world's record is so far ahead is, was because it was done with male pacemakers. So there are two school of thoughts on what is the best time. And actually, the London Marathon today, the female took it out, and they call it the the fastest marathon in a woman's only race. So that represents what Richard's talking about here. I'm not sure whether there will be any genuine attempts at the girls' record as opposed to the guys' record where they consistently have it chased in Berlin each year with pacemakers being told to go at that pace. Also, a reflection of superior depth levels at guys' marathoning. There you go. I just want... Oh, you're cutting out again. Um, a world record by Mary... Kitane of two hours, 17 minutes today or yesterday in the London Marathon. And she was on t target halfway to break, break two hours, 15. Not that that means anything. Um, yeah, Paula Radcliffe, when she set that world's, what they call a world's best, I think now, of two hours, 15, she had pacemakers, which... Male pacemakers. Know. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I get it. I get it. One, isn't it. I get it, but I get it, you know, like... Oh, that's a hard one, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway. Well, because um, uh, males wouldn't have the advantage of being able to use a, a leopard. <laughs> you know, like a, well, a fast animal to run get, with. <laughs> yeah, the males still get pacemakers out there to go crazy fast. And I don't know. Yeah, I suppose. I don't know. Just an odd one. It's not a marathon. It's, it's not, uh, we're not talking too much marathons here. Well, we are today. But uh, anyway, let's move on. Good luck to those guys going sub two hours. I hope they can do it. Okay, good times. Um, John, that's pretty much today's show. Let's talk about a few patrons. Nick the Admiral Rose. We've got Mark the Unpredictable Woodshire. Brian the Funny Guy Fallon. And then we've got Adrian Fui Fui Moi. Yep, because there's a great rugby league player called Fui Fui Moi Moi. And then Michael the Meat Muncher Egan. And <laughs> that's a cold one. <laughs> he loves that one. <laughs> meat muncher. <laughs> oh, meat muncher, Egan. Uh, Michael, we love you. Okay, uh, sponsors. Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. And extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And Jombo. Uh, patrons, if you want to be a patron, become a patron of the show. Go to www.imtalk.me. 
and uh, that would be all good in the hood. What's your goss, John? What's my goss? Going off to a dawn parade tomorrow morning for Anzac Day over here. We're, we're recording a day early. We normally record on Tuesdays, but uh, today is Monday night, so we'll do, do a bit of dawn parade action tomorrow morning. Go for a long run after that, and then uh, hitting the Able Tasman track on Thursday for a few days with the kids. We now did a good uh, two-hour training walk this morning, so the kids are fighting fit. We did a bit of, bit of mini Olympics uh, down at the beach yesterday. Had the, the shot put with the, the cricket ball. The mini Olympics. Over the cr- yeah, they wanted, the kids wanted to do a mini Olympics, so we, we set up a running track. They did a bit of distance, a bit of sprints. I held on to a uh, cricket bat and they had to try to high jump over that. That was uh, interesting. And what did we do? The shot put with the tennis ball. We did the javelin with one of the cricket stumps. Uh, what else did we do? Um, I can't, they, they, want, oh, they tried to do hurdles, setting up the cricket wickets. And that was about as far as we got. We, we couldn't find anything to use as the hammer throw. Um, but I think we covered off most of the other things. Long jump, did the long jump. So who won the Olympics? The who else but Thomas? Who oh. else but Thomas? Okay. Got to win everything. Okay. Do you not kind of just show him who's boss occasionally? Occasionally. Although we did, we're, he's getting into his speed patience. You pay a bit of speed patience. Yeah, I'm totally nice. I love playing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We went three from three. We tied three times in a row earlier this evening. Oh, wow. Couldn't get one over him. I getting love a bit playing frustrating. cards. Love playing cards. Mm. We were at a friend's house the other night, played 500. Oh, but it's 500. Do you like nice. 500? 500, yeah, it's good. Oh, love it. Bevan, what's happening in your world? Um, John, not a huge amount. I'm off to Auckland tomorrow and then uh, running like Forrest Gump again, which is quite nice. And that's pretty much it, John. It's pretty much late. Phil and Ada can be run- you and Phil and Ada can be running buddies. You're both sort of going for qualification for races and you both sort of need to hit the same time around about the same time so you and phil and Ada How's phil? get out there and do some running. how was phil yeah same as me it's 40 40 turning 41 this year okay that's good well so i think he's got it what do you got what time you got to do for marathon qualifying 258 yeah i guess he's, he's much the same yeah well, 258 255 something like that i'm thinking if i can keep my training up not get injured sub 250 i'll be happy with got to beat chrissy's time 249 there's a benchmark for you okay Okay, here we go. We'll, we'll see how I go. As long as, to be honest, as long as I get under two fifty, I'm happy. But you know, I think a two fifty is probably realistic for him. Where's my running's at? So anyway, John, let's get out of here. I need to go to bed. I'm Russ. I'm a note. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. Kia kaha.